So brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will notice that the text for this morning's sermon is Exodus chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. So we're not going to read the text because that would just finish the rest of the service for us, but those are the chapters, chapters 7 through 12, that the book of Exodus dedicates to the story of the 10 plagues. That's a lot of time spent out. The author draws out this long story about the 10 plagues, and then it's also sung about in Psalm 105, and it's sung about, sung about in Psalm, 100, uh, Psalm 78. Scripture gives a lot of attention to the 10 plagues of Egypt, and they tend to be stories that fascinate us a little bit. I'm sure that many of the boys and girls here have read the Bible story about the plagues, and maybe even you have your, your favorite plague, maybe it's the gnats or the flies, or you know, maybe it's the boils, I don't know. But it seems to be that this story tends to fascinate us. And it fascinates Hollywood too. We get Hollywood movies that are made about this. I think the last one was in 2015, Exodus, God and Kings, and you know, the, the, the story of the plagues is kind of fascinating, it's interesting. And I happen to think that it's not only just a, a, a long, drawn-out, fascinating story, but it's also a story that we tend to miss the point in. We tend to be sort of distracted by all the details and all of the, the various elements that are in the story of the plagues, and we kind of miss the point. There's some interesting things when you look at the story of the, uh, of the plagues in Exodus 7 through 12. They're organized in a very specific way. So today we're going to specifically talk about, talk about the first nine plagues, which are sort of a set, and then the tenth plague, which is the firstborn children of Egypt dying, is the culmination. We'll talk about that on another Sunday. But if you look at the, the, the nine plagues in the book of Exodus, they're organized in groupings of three, one, two, and three, four, five, and six, seven, eight, and nine, and we would call those triads. So there's three triads, three groupings of three plagues, and then they have, they have similarities. So for instance, in the first plague of every triad, it starts off with Moses going to Pharaoh in the morning. So when he, go, when he turns the water into blood, he goes in the morning. And in plague four, which is the flies, it's again he goes in the morning to Pharaoh. And then in plague seven, hail and fire, again he goes in the morning. So there's a, there's a pattern there. Every, the first plague in every triad, he goes in the morning. And then the second plague in every triad, they go to the palace. So plagues two and five and eight, they go to the palace. And then the last plague always comes without them talking to Pharaoh at all. It just happens, it doesn't get announced. So you have this, these three triads and they obviously, the, the author is writing those in a specific structure. And yeah, that's, that's, that's not just interesting, it seems the author has crafted that perhaps to uh, help people remember how it went, uh, to, to give us a sense of you know, how the story progresses. It's a little bit difficult to understand whether or not that's exactly how it happens because when you look at Psalms 78 and Psalm 105, the order of the plagues are different and some of the plagues are missing. So the first plague in Exodus 7 is the water turning to blood. That's true also in Psalm 78, but Psalm 105 mentions darkness first. And then the second plague in Exodus is frogs, but Psalm 108 mentions flies, and Psalm 105 then goes to water and blood. The third plague is gnats in Exodus. It's frogs in Psalm 78. It's frogs also in Psalm 105. 
Plague four in Exodus is flies, and then Psalm 78 is locusts, and then Psalm 105 is flies, and then Psalm 78 skips a bunch of plagues. It only has six plagues. Psalm 105 only has eight plagues, whereas there's nine in these tri triads in Exodus uh, 7 through 12. And yeah, if you could keep on going, you'd see that you know, they, they, just, they mix things up. For instance, Psalm 78 mentions hail, doesn't mention fire, lightning. Uh, they all end with the, the firstborn dying, but the order is mixed up. And so it seems that we could, we, we could conclude from that that for the biblical writers, it's not the order that the plagues happened in or which specific plagues happened that is the most important thing. It's a little bit like when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, it's obvious that the different gospel writers are not primarily concerned about looking through a video camera and telling you exactly how things went historically. They have other ideas in mind. And so we, would, we can assume that the, the writer, in, uh, the Moses writing in Exodus and the psalmist there also have something else in mind. The important thing is not for you to remember the order of the plagues or to remember which plague, and you know, you know, don't, don't get lost in those details. Something else is going on that's important. Another indication that something else is going on that's important is the fact that uh, every single plague mentions the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. That's a theme that comes up with every single plague. Every single plague mentions that his heart is hardened. In a couple of those instances, it's sort of ambiguous. It just says that his heart was hardened. It became hard. And then in other instances, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then in other instances, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. In fact, the, the last three plagues all mention that it is the Lord that hardens Pharaoh's heart. And so the author obviously wants us to pay attention to this. He's repeating this through every plague. And he mentioned in Exodus chapter four, verse 21 to 23, that God, before any of the plagues, said that was what he was gonna do. He was gonna harden Pharaoh's heart from the beginning. And so sometimes we use this text to talk about man's responsibility or the will of man and then God's will and God's, and we sort of play those off and try to figure out how does the human will and God's will interact. That's interesting, but that's not the point of the, of the passage in Exodus. The point is to demonstrate again and again and again that the Lord is in control here. That Pharaoh might harden his heart and rebel against the Lord, but that doesn't matter. The Lord's will will be done, and the Lord is sovereignly executing his will in these plagues, and he will make sure that his purposes are, are accomplished. And so that then leads us to the question that I'd like to address this morning. The plagues are drawn out, and they're repeated in the Psalms, and there's a use of triads, and there's a structure there, but then there's a, the differences in the Psalms, and the order, and the number of the plagues, and this hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It's obvious the Lord is doing something. What is he doing? That's the question we have to ask. What is God's purpose in all of this? What is God's purpose in all this? This is, this is the, the question that all the Hollywood movies miss. What is the God's purposes in the plague? in the plagues. And here's why I think that this is a very important question for us today. Because you might be asking yourself, why is the purposes of the plagues in Egypt important for us? Well, it's obvious in scripture that the book of Exodus serves as a kind of template for us to understanding the New Testament and our own salvation today. So a template, a piece of wood, a piece of metal, a, a piece of paper if you're making a dress, something that you use to trace to make something that is similar in shape and form to the template. We understand our salvation takes on a very similar shape that 
salvation and exodus does. Jesus himself understood his work on the cross in terms of the exodus. He, he has a last supper with his disciples. He celebrates Passover and he uses that last plague of the death of the firstborn and Passover being served there to understand what his own mission on earth is and how we are to understand our own salvation. Exodus is a template for our own understanding of the Christian faith. So if we begin to understand God's purposes in the plagues of Egypt, then we will also begin to understand God's purposes in our own life and in the life of our church. So let's discover what God's purposes in the plagues were so that we might be enlightened as to God's purposes in our own life and the life of our church. God's purpose in the plagues. I would like to point out three purposes that the Lord has in the plagues of Egypt and then demonstrate how the, what they teach us today. His first purpose is the most obvious one, that he is saving his covenant people from slavery. Everybody knows that. In Exodus 3, verse 10, he tells Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. And he goes on to say, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it, and after that he will let you go. So there God is saying, that's what I'm doing. I'm striking Egypt with the wonders or the signs that's how we ought to understand or think about the plagues, not so much as plagues, but as wonders and signs that the Lord is uh, striking Egypt with in order to save his people. That's his purpose, which is exactly God's purposes toward us as church in Jesus Christ as we look, use that template to understand our own salvation. Jesus, his name, Matthew 7, uh, Matthew chapter 1 says, means that he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus starts off his ministry by proclaiming in Luke 4 that he has come, that the Lord has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the Jewish mind that would have immediately gone to the time of Egypt. The purpose of the plagues is to save his covenant people and that purpose extends out through into the New Testament. It's the template that we use to understand our own faith. The purposes of God extend into our own church and into our own life, these same purposes, that the Lord is at work here and that he's at work saving people from slavery and from captivity to sin and to the devil. The Lord never changes. His purposes don't change. And so we praise the Lord today that his purpose in the church is to save us to save us from captivity, to save us from slavery. That's the obvious one. Now let's think about the second purpose that we find in, uh, for the plagues. And here we're going to draw on a number of scripture passages. If we look to Exodus chapter 10, verse one and two, for instance, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go, into, go to, uh, into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So there's a nuance there. There he's saying that the reason that I'm sending the plagues is so that you, my covenant people, may know me as the Lord. I'm gonna save you, but I also want you to know who I am, to know me. He wants to draw his people close to himself that they might rightly know him as Yahweh, the God who saves their covenant God. And that purpose comes out also in Psalm 78, which we sang, where we read, 
uh, in this psalm that speaks about the plagues in verse four, we will not hide them from our children, but tell it to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The Lord is, is sending the plagues with the purpose of drawing his covenant people to himself so that throughout the generations they might know who he is. And you can imagine in the time of the 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 exodus, this was important because for 400 years, the people had not really known who Yahweh was. They didn't really known their God. They'd probably known lots of Egyptian gods. They'd probably been very familiar with Egyptian gods. In fact, you can, you can understand a lot of exodus all the way also into the Ten Commandments is the Lord trying to get them to shed their Egyptian ideas of God and get to know, uh, they can get to know him as their covenant God. And so there, the plagues have some significance as well. The Egyptian word for Nile is the same word for the Egyptian god of the Nile. The Nile and the god of the Nile are just called the same thing uh, in, in ancient Egypt. The god's name was Happy. He wasn't because he was smiling all of the time, but that was his name, Happy. And the word for Nile was Happy. And so there's significance, isn't there, that the first plague is that the Lord turns the Nile into blood. It's as if he's striking down the god of Egypt, the Nile to show his people who he is. And so then we, we see that theme played out uh, elsewhere in scripture. So for instance, in Exodus 12, verse 12, we read the following. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute my judgments, he says. And then we, we can read the similar, similar type things in Numbers, for instance. It's Numbers chapter 33, verse 3 and 4. We read this. They set out from Ramses in their first month, on the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments, it says. One, one last verse that demonstrates this is Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, which is the song of Moses, where he sings, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? So the purposes of God to draw a covenant people to himself and to demonstrate that he was different than all of these other gods, he conquered all of these gods. He comes to save his people through the plagues and draw them close to himself so they might know him in opposition to all those other gods of Egypt. These are God's purposes. And they're God's purposes in the New Testament and in our own life as well. John 17, verse three, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. In John 5, 20, we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, but part of the purposes of God is not just to save us from our sins, but to help us to know him, to know that he is the one true God and not the other gods of this world. He comes to save a covenant people and make himself fully known to them. And that purpose is extending out from the book of Exodus throughout redemptive history all the way through into our day. So if someone asks you, what's, what's God's purposes in the church? Well, he's saving us from our sins by grace through faith, and he's also making himself known to us. He's drawing us into a relationship where we get to know who our covenant God is, where we get to, to know who the creator of this world is, and we know him best 
in the person of Jesus Christ. Those are the two first purposes of the plagues. Now the third purpose of the plague. Let me read for you a couple of verses from Exodus chapter 7. In Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, we read this. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people of Israel, out from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out my people of Israel from among them. Another purpose of the Lord in the plagues is so that the Egyptians might know that he is the Lord. You see that also in in Exodus 9, verse 29, where we read the following. Moses said to him, as soon as I have, talking to Pharaoh, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. That you, Pharaoh, you, the Egyptians, might know that the earth is the Lord's. The purposes of God extend out from his covenant people out into the world. We see that in in Exodus 11, verse 9 as well, where we read the following. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. You see, God is not just concerned about his church. He's not just about concerned about his church in that time and place and in this time and place. He's also concerned about Pharaoh and about Egypt, and he wants them also to know who he is. That's important. And so when we get to, to Exodus chapter 9, verse 13 through 16, we read this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, it's the beginning of a triad, and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. It's explicit there. The Lord saying, this is my purpose. I could have struck you down, Pharaoh. I, could have only, I, could, I didn't need nine plagues. I could have made it happen like that, he says. But this is the purpose that I've had that I might be proclaimed in all the earth. The salvation of the Lord is bigger in purpose than just saving us here. His salvation purposes extend out around the church into the world around us. And so we see already, right in Exodus, a beautiful example of that in Exodus chapter 18. This is when Moses and the people of Israel have left and we meet Moses' father-in-law who is a Midianite. He's not an Israelite and he's not an Egyptian. And we read the following. When Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for the Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come along them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
And down in verse uh, 10, Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered his people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair um, they dealt arrogantly with the people. Jethro, someone outside of Israel, outside of Egypt, is understanding who God is. I know that this God is greater than all other gods. God's purposes are already coming to fruition just as the people leave Egypt. And so we read Psalm 105, which we read, which starts says, oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. And as it leads up toward uh, uh, recounting how the Lord acted in Egypt with the plagues, it says, make his deeds known among the peoples, among the Gentiles, among those outside of the covenant people. You see, God's salvation purposes since the time of Egypt have always been universal in scope. They've always been universal in scope. The saving of God's covenant people, the saving of his church here today has always been part of a bigger universal plan to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, salvation for the world. And Psalm 105 mentions numerous times the Lord remembering his covenant with Abraham. And what was this covenant with Abraham? That I will bless you and I choose you to be my covenant people that all the nations of the world might be blessed. That I bless you, my church, so that you might bless the world. That's what the focus is. Now if you have a Bible with me, I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 19. Isaiah chapter 19, the prophets of God throughout the Old Testament understood what we've been speaking about this morning very well. And Isaiah, under the inspiration of the uh, Holy Spirit, in chapter 19, starting at verse 19, says this. Isaiah 19, 19. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. This is Isaiah picking up on the beautiful purposes of God, the covenant purposes with Abraham, the purposes of the plagues, picking them up, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, giving us a grand vision of the universal church of Christ, a world where every knee bows from Egypt to Assyria to Israel, turning to the Lord in faith. And so do you see, brothers and sisters, how all of this is, is a template for how we understand our own salvation? How we understand the New Testament? What are God's purposes in his church? Why does Jesus come? He comes to save a church. He comes to, to save a covenant people for himself. 
and to make God known to them. But it's bigger than that. Our church is caught up in something much bigger than that. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He's got a universal focus. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the head of the church. Why? To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth and heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. He's head of the church to reconcile everything in heaven and above. And so you see Jesus do that, don't you? You see Jesus sending out his apostles, sending out his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, all nations. And so we need to understand the great commission missionary calling of Christ for the church of Jesus, that it's not an add-on, it's not a bonus, it's not just something that we do, it's part and parcel of the very purposes of God from the beginning. It's ingrained in the DNA of God's people and the purposes of the Lord for this world. Jesus comes not just to save a church, his bigger plan is to reverse the fall, to reverse the fall, to reverse the curse. He comes to fulfill the covenant of God to Abraham, to bless the whole world, all nations, to break down the barriers so that the glory of the Lord would not just fill the church, but that the glory of the Lord would fill the world. That's the end goal. Jesus comes to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah and the purposes of God and the plagues. And the challenge of the church throughout all ages, throughout all history, the challenge for our church is this, that we must align ourselves with the purposes of God. We must align ourselves individually and as a church with the purposes of God. The challenge for us is to say, is to not say, well, I like the first two purposes of God. I like that the Lord saves us, and I like getting to know the Lord better. And then not align ourselves with the bigger purposes of God. That the Lord is revealing himself to us and is saving us and is getting, letting us to know him better so that we might participate in his greater purpose of spreading his glory throughout all the earth. The challenge for that we have before us is to not be of the world, but to be in it. To not be of the world, to be sanctified a people apart, saved by Jesus Christ, who know the Lord, but to be in the world with God's missionary purpose. Last week I had the, the privilege of going to the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary Conference, which was about foreign missions. If you have a chance to watch the videos online, you should. There's so many beautiful things there. One of the videos that wasn't online was a talk about enormous networks of house churches, reformed house churches in China. Unbelievable work that the Lord is doing there. Incredible, encouraging things. Other talks were about how the, the, the Lord is overcoming witchcraft in places like Africa and PNG. The hunger for reformed resources in the Francophone world. We had a talk by, by the pastor in uh, the Canadian Reformed Church of Brampton, which has so many visitors and, and serves a, a greater neighborhood that all the nations of the world are coming to their church. In their congregation, they have people from Cameroon and they have German people and African-American people and Scottish people and native Canadian people and Caribbean people and Italians and Irish people and Eastern European people. Around their consistory table, they have people from Portuguese, uh, from Portugal and they have German Swiss people and they have a Brazilian and they have a Ghanaian and they have Dutch background people. 
beautiful multi, uh, multicultural church that the Lord is, is bringing in the nations right in that spot, that his uh, name might be glorified in all the earth. And then we had a speaker at that conference that challenged us, that challenged also the pastors in the audience to bring this message back to their churches. That we need to stop in our lives thinking so much about the bucket list that we have of all the things that we would like to do in our life. We need to stop thinking about our lives as, well, here's all the things I would like to accomplish for my own joy in my li- our life, and instead begin to think, how might I, by the grace of God, contribute to the grand purposes of God in redeeming the earth by the power of the gospel? Ask yourself that question. Put that in your bucket. How might I contribute to the grand missionary purposes of God? And then they also challenge us, we we need to think about foreign countries not as simply as destinations for luxury vacations, but we need to think about them as places that need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, places that we might be able to go and encourage the church in. We might consider foreign missions, not just as an aspect of our church budget, which is such a good thing, but in our own lives while we live missionary lives right where we are. So brothers and sisters, ask yourself this question, because I need to ask myself this question. Do the purposes of your life align with the purposes of God? Do the purposes of your life align with the purposes of God? I'm thankful, I'm so thankful that in our church, We are doing a lot in order to make sure that our church stays aligned with the purposes of God, that we have budgeted amounts in our church budget, that we dedicate money to mission work in Papua New Guinea and mission work in Quebec and mission work for sending myself out into Africa. I know for sure that there are other people in this congregation that use their own personal funds to fund mission work in various places. Praise the Lord, keep up all the good work. It's beautiful. Don't let it slip away. I'm thankful also for a meeting we had this past week as the elders and deacons where we spent some time brainstorming how is, can we as a church be involved also in, in local mission and mission in our city? How can we align our church with the purposes of God for that? I'm thankful for brothers who are willing to spend time on that. So let's pray, brothers and sisters, that that would continue. Let's pray that our church would continue to align itself with the purposes of God in Scripture. Isaiah prophesies that Egypt would become the covenant people of God. And in scripture, we already see a glimpse of how that comes true. In Acts chapter two, verse 10, says that the Holy Spirit is poured out and people hear the gospel in their own language that there were Egyptians there who believed. In the Coptic tradition, they say that John Mark, the apostle John Mark, came to Egypt in 49 AD. He preached the gospel there and was martyred by pagan worshipers. But he planted a church. And still today there are true believers worshiping the Lord also this Sunday in Egypt. And through the work of faithful local pastors and congregations and regular Christians and mission organizations like the Middle East Reform Fellowship, those numbers in Egypt are still growing today. And why are they still growing? Because Pharaoh cannot stop 
the sovereign plans of God. Pharaoh cannot stop the sovereign plans of God because persecution cannot foil the Lord who so loved the world that he sent his only son. Because since the time of the plagues, God's global covenant missionary purposes in ancient Egypt and in modern Egypt and to the ends of the earth will never fail. For he's saving a people to himself and he's making himself known to them. He's blessing them with covenant blessings that they might go out and bless others and his kingdom is advancing and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. His church gathering work is continuing as he determines it according to his purposes and his deeds are filling the whole earth and he will be known amongst all peoples till the one day, and we look forward to the one day when we're all going to gather around the great throne of God with all the elect of Christ in every ethnicity and every language and from every tribe and nation and then we will hear the Lord say, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. And we will all, brothers and sisters, together with the universal church fall down and worship the Lord our God according to his covenant purposes. And the church of Christ says, amen. Let's pray. Oh dear Lord, we live in a world full of purpose and mission statements, declarations that provide direction and focus. And so we pray this morning that you would help us align our purposes with your purposes, that your mission would be our mission, O Lord, and that you in your grace would give us our place to play in your kingdom coming and in your church prevailing. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.